Morning, everyone. We'll do some more singing at the end as well, I think. More singing, it's all good. Uh, I was thinking about uh, the, the idea that, you know, because sometimes we sing like the same word over and over again, don't we? And you kind of think, what happens there? Well, Handel's Messiah had 127 repetitions of the word Messiah. Do you know that? And the, the leader of Mainz Cathedral in, in Germany, the, the, he wouldn't let them play it because he said it's boring and repetitive. <laughs> anyway, there's loads of that stuff happens. But we learn stuff by keep on going, by, by re- repetition. So I'm going to talk a bit about that today. But uh, let me tell you, on, a, on Friday night, uh, Tracy and I, we, we had some guests of coming for dinner. And I don't know what you do when you have people coming for dinner, but we, like, we tidied the house up. You know, you, do, you make it look, so people come around your house and they think that's how your house always looks, but you know you've just done it. You, you do know what I mean? Everything, you put, you're puffing up the, the, the cushions, you, everything's all sorted, you know, the house is good, everything's just, and you know, you tidy yourself up, put some nice Friday night chill music on Spotify, you light a scented candle in the bathroom, all that sort of stuff, right? And then like, you cook a lovely meal, dessert. We don't normally do dessert, but you know, you make a special dessert, you get the recipe books out, and you get it all, and you kind of like this expectant hope that people are coming and we're there. And then the guest, who happened to be Grand Michelle, this wasn't their fault. <laughs> it, was, it was seven o'clock, and Chase and, and said, I'm sure Graham said seven. I said, oh, don't worry, you know, it's fine. Quarter past seven. We, I said, it's quarter past seven, they're still not here. I said, you know, it must have been eight o'clock. Tracy, can you just, just check your text? So Tracy looks in her text, she went, oh. They're coming next Friday. <laughs> so it was us. We got the whole, we had, a, we got, we had the same meal for two days then, which is excellent. You got a reheat one other day, but it was fantastic. And in many ways, it reminded me of Christmas. <laughs> I don't know how. But at Advent is what they call a, a season of expectant hope. A season of expectant hope and where you wait. It's that Advent's the season where we wait for the coming of the King. And we were waiting with expectant hope for Graham and Michelle and they never turned up because they weren't meant to. But we, in, at this time of year, as we celebrate and move towards Christmas, we are in a season of expectant hope where we're waiting, believing, being reminded that Christ came. It's such a beautiful thing. And so, I was thinking about this, and what, for me, the key to Christmas is love. And I've been thinking about love a lot, because it's, it's, a, it's, it's a strange word, isn't it? I love Mars bars, but I love my wife. I love watching football. Do you know what I mean? We use it in lots of different ways, don't we? we I love bounties more, by the way, than Mars bars, even. <laughs> not, not that you thought I was going to say more than my wife. I meant... More than Mars bars. And I was disturbed when I heard they've taken them out of the celebrations tin this year. Does anyone else find that disturbing? Oh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of coconut haters in the room. My goodness. <laughs> but love is a strange word, you know. And I, I want us to look at a psalm together called Psalm 136. It's uh, it was a psalm of David. It's, it was what they t- it's what's called a, a thanksgiving psalm. It's a psalm of thanks. The, uh, the priest in the... Uh, in the temple, would recite a line, and then the congregation in the crowd would repeat, would, would have a refrain. They would repeat something. And so, Psalm 136, it's a, it's a, it's a great psalm because it puts the gift of daily food on the same plane as the great acts of creation, exodus, and conquest. So in this one psalm, it's God's like creating the world, and we're giving thanks for that, but in the same psalm, we're giving thanks for our 
daily food. And the word love here is this incredibly powerful Hebrew word called hesed. And in fact, a lot of translators say it should just be a word on its own. I've got an English-speaking Bible that where, where, where that's used, they just put hesed in it. Because it is a, it's a, a huge word, encompassing justice and righteousness. And, and one of the meanings specifically around this psalm is that hesed, when we talk about the word love, his love endures forever. It's a free-flowing love that knows no bounds. A free-flowing love that knows no bounds. So this, when we talk about the love of God, this is the love that we talk about. When we sing about his love, this is the love that we sing about. A free-flowing, that it just flows and flows and goes on and on and on and on. It goes, because it's free-flowing and it knows no bounds. That means it goes anywhere. It goes into a, a small child's heart in, who's being counseled in a school. It goes anywhere. It goes into prisons. It goes into brokenness. It goes into palaces. It goes wherever. It, it knows no bounds. The love of God is immense, phenomenal, free-flowing. So I thought we could read Psalm 136 together, if that's okay. We'll put it up. Now, you're going to have to bear with me because there are 26 repetitions of his love endures forever. So if, if you've got some water, now's the time. I'm going to read the bit, and you're going to say, his love endures forever. Is that okay? I would make you stand, but I feel we're all getting quite comfortable. The room's warming up now, unless you're by the door. I see Claire over there like, Ooh. But, you know, anyway, let's read this together. Uh, so you repeat, his love endures forever. Is that okay? Great. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him alone who does great wonders. Who by his understanding made the heavens. Who spread out the earth upon the waters. Who made the great lights. The sun to govern the day. The moon and stars to govern the night. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. And brought Israel out from among them. With a mighty arm and outstretched hand. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder. We're halfway there. And brought Israel through the midst of it. But swept Pharaoh and his armies into the sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down great kings and killed mighty kings, Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and gave their land as an inheritance, an inheritance for his servant Israel. He remembered us in our low estate. He freed us from our enemies. He gives food to every creature. Give thanks to the God of heaven. What a good psalm, eh? His love endures forever. I have a friend called Jess, and she is a piano teacher. 
And one of the things that she talks about is the need for her pupils to learn middle C. Okay, I don't, I'm not, I don't play the piano, my wife does sort of. Uh, middle C is often the first note that the beginners learn to identify on the piano. It's not actually in the middle, it's in the middle of two sort of lines or something. I can't remember what the lines are, where the notes sit. But it's called middle C. Once you find middle C on the piano, she gets her pupils to stand up, walk away, come back from the other side of the room and find it again. She gets them to do it like 10 times. Get up, come back, get up, come back. And all the time with her new pupils, she teaches them about middle C. Because middle C is the first note that beginners learn to identify on the piano because it is a solid foundation to begin any piano study. It's the basic foundation note. It's the first note that pianists learn. And in many ways, the middle C of our lives is that his love endures forever. It's the middle C of my prayer life, his love endures forever. But it's the middle C of Christmas, his love endures forever. Now, up there I've put neural pathways. Why neural pathways? Well, neural pathways, Just and if you're a, a brain scientist here this morning, please forgive me if I don't do a good job on this one. It's not my calling. But neural pathways are the basis of your habits of thinking, feeling, acting. They're what you believe to be true and why you do what you do. There's a guy called Donald Helb in 1948. Neurons that fire together, wire together. You don't, what is Brian talking about? We experience these pathways as patterns that develop in our lives. So, uh, like relationships, food, money, career, health, happiness. When you learn middle C, when you repeat it and repeat it and repeat it, a neural pathway forms in your brain so that when you go back to play middle C, you can do it because you've opened and you've created a, middle, uh, a, a neural pathway. It's like a, a hiking trail, okay? I don't know if you go somewhere and you see a path that's been walked, and the more it's walked, the more defined it becomes. It's if someone walks across a field, and you, you, they've never walked before, you don't see a path, but if people are always walking across the same field, they create a pathway. And that would be a neural pathway. The more you do it, the, the more ingrained it becomes, the more it gets into you. It's like uh, when you learn to play the guitar. At first, my son played a few lines of Sweet Child of Mine over and over and over for about, seemed like, four years, okay? And one day, he realized, I am a guitarist, because his, his, his neural pathways have been created in his mind that makes it easy. It's like learning to drive. I don't know about you. The first time you get in a car and you think, what, I've got to steer, change gear, I've got to use my eyes, I've got to use my feet, I've got to do the clutch and the brake, I'm going to press the brake at the right. You know, all of, do you remember all of that? Some of us still do that, get in and forget what to do. But <laughs> I don't know, but sometimes whenever you drive home, you think, how did I get here? Not existentially, but do you know what I mean? Like, how did I actually drive here? And, and it's because you've, you've formed neural pathways, because you've done it so many times, over and over and over. It's become part of you. you. You are a driver. It's like learning a new language. When someone learns a new language, at first it's difficult. And then you learn some basics, and, it, and you do it over and over and over again until this happens, is that you end up thinking in your new language. So you start, at first you're just you know, repeating, repeating, and one day you start to realize, oh, I'm thinking in Spanish. You know, and, and you've opened a neural pathway. So when we say his love endures forever, the psalmists weren't stupid. 
The congregation was learning the middle C of the Christian faith, the middle C of the prayer life. Over and over again, they repeat and go, his love endures forever. And a pathway opens up in each one of our lives and in our hearts that embeds itself in us that is his love endures forever. We have these neural pathways. Some of them are old as well. I don't know about you, but when I was young, I used to have toast whenever I was at night, like four slices of toast with butter. It's the most unhealthy thing ever, right? Do you know, it's my comfort food now as a 52-year-old man. Something I used to eat when I was a child was white, like sun-blessed, the cheap, cheap, nasty white bread, right, with toast. The stuff that goes brown because it's got so much sugar in it. You know what I mean? And, you do, and, and do you know what? If I smell that. It's like, it's like the crack cocaine of food for me. Seriously. And it, is, that, is that a good... As, no, Chasey's like, bro, I'm Protestant. But, you know, for, I like... I'm, <laughs> It's because there was a neural pathway that was created when I was younger about like toast comfort. So when I'm tired, I have toast. When I get in, I've been driving back from somewhere and I'm a bit exhausted, I think I'll have some toast. It's not good for me, but it brings me comfort. There's a neural pathway that exists in my mind around toast. And I've had to break it, obviously. As I get older and you start getting fatter, you've got to break it. But it's there. It exists. And so we all have these neural pathways. So there's something... The more we do something, the more we remember. And remembering always involves repetition. That's why there's 26 repetitions of his love endures forever. It becomes the core of who we are. His love endures forever is the regular heartbeat of congregational refrain. It's the regular heartbeat of congregational refrain. His love endures forever, if you can fit it in. But it's a heartbeat, and, and it should be the heartbeat of every church whenever we cook meals on Friday. Why? Because his love endures forever. It's the heartbeat of who we are. When we celebrate Christmas, why? Because his love endures forever. We hear it's a refrain that beats. It's the heartbeat of who we are. John three sixteen says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I know that verse off by heart. I know it in a slightly different version. It's it's opened a neural pathway in my own life. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. And this is what we celebrate at Christmas. That We repeat it. I've repeated this for 52 years, this Christmas. And is it boring? No, it's not. Because once again, we're reminded of the middle C of our Christmas is this, that God gave his one and only son, that his love endures forever, endures so much that he gave his one and only son. In the, in the, uh, the, in the live, in the, the song by the, the Mon- uh, Marcus Mumford, it says, where you invest your love is where you invest your life. And God invested his love in this planet by investing his life in this planet. He gave himself, and so his love endures forever. This is why Christmas is beautiful, because we learn It's the free-flowing love that knows no bounds. And we need to learn to repeat it. That's why there's power, right, in liturgical recitals. A guy called Brueggemann said this, they create, evoke, suggest, and propose a network of symbols, metaphors, images, memories, and hopes so that the world in each successive generation is perceived, experienced, and practiced in a specific way. What's he saying there? (laughs) He's be- yeah, he's saying a lot. You can, we can just preach on this. He's basically saying if we keep repeating it, we bring the past into the present. 
We bring the past story of Jesus into the present reality of today. If you keep, you learn it, you repeat it, you learn it, you repeat it, and it brings it in. That's why we have nativities. St. Francis of Assisi wanted people to understand the, the story of Jesus. So what did he do? He, people couldn't read. The literacy was practically non-existent, so he created nativity scenes so that when people came to church, they, looked, they didn't have a book to read. They looked at a nativity scene, and it reminded them of the Christmas story. And we do that. It's not, it wasn't just a pretty thing that someone designed in Hobby Lobby. This was, this was actually an Ignatian monk called St. Francis of Assisi created the nativity so that people could picture themselves in the story of the coming of Christ. And so in, in Italy at the time, they were predominantly life-size. <laughs> they actually, in the end, they, started, they had these things called sacred montes. They're like sacred mountains. And they still exist to this day where you could walk up a mountain and at different parts on the mountain, there were different scenes of the life of Jesus, life-size. Because if you didn't have a Bible, if you couldn't read, the only way you could picture the Christian story was to picture yourself in it, to see the physical reality of it. And so that's why these things happen. And, and we do it over and over again. So it becomes the middle sea of who we are. We look at a nativity and it reminds us of a God in skin, come like in a little baby, pooping himself and needing his bum wiped so that he could come and be here and live amongst us and grow up and experience life like we experience life. And it shows us the, the incarnational reality of the coming of Christ in a nativity scene and it reminds us again and again God became flesh and dwelt among us amazing remembering brings the past into the present see what it says is this God who created is creating God who delivered is delivering God who sustained is sustaining the God who forgave is forgiving the God who saved is saving the God who loved is loving when we repeat it it just gets to be part of us and it gets into us that's the beauty of repetition the beauty of doing this again and again because it reminds us with each recital of the Lord's Prayer the Apostles Creed the peace of Christ the Easter narrative the Christmas story we bring the past redemptive acts of God powerfully into the present so when we're doing this Christmas thing it's not it's so much more than lights smells and bells it's the bringing the past into the present the coming of the king into the present the redemption of humanity into the present the reason that you and I here today is because of Christmas and what happened the reality of the cross into the present and that's what Christmas for me is about his love enduring forever so if we're going to Receive. if we're going to learn about the middle sea of his love enduring forever, we need to keep remembering. Remember, remember, remember. And that sometimes means we need to repeat it, repeat it, repeat it. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That is the middle sea of my faith. That is why his love endures forever. That's what this is about. It's the giving of oneself. It's God himself giving himself to us so that we could live. And then, in, interestingly, in John, it moves on in John. John uh, 1, actually, that's after, but this is before John 1. Sorry. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. See, it's one thing to remember the love of God. It's one thing to remember that, you know, Christmas is about remembering God's love. The real, the real thing is to receive it, to receive his love. 
this free-flowing love that knows no bounds. We can remember at Christmas, but we need to receive. But to all who did receive him, he gave (laughs) the right to become children of God. Receive his love. So here at Christmas, we remember, but we also receive. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know. Oh, you know, I'm not very good at that sort of receiving thing. I love getting gifts. Some people don't. They're a bit like, oh, we shouldn't have, you know. But actually, we need to, we need to, be, we need to learn to receive the love of God. This free-flowing love that knows no bounds, we need to learn to receive it. This is the message of Christmas. That we remember that God sent his love. But the, the reality is it, it's about you and I receiving it. I receive your love today. I receive your love from me. I put my hands out. And like I receive. I receive. And I don't know where you're at this morning. But it's, it's love. It's free flowing unending love that knows no bounds that is available to each one of us today and every day and every day. You should be able to look yourself in the mirror and say, I am loved by God. I am loved by God. You could write it in your mirror every morning. I am loved by God. If you're struggling to say that you're loved by God, I just want to say he's here and you can receive his love. Christmas reminds us that we can receive his love. You are loved by God. Loved, loved, loved. And there is one beautiful, beautiful reality about being a Christian is knowing the love of God. And you might have had all sorts, and I have different experiences of love. What does that look like? How is that expressed? How did your father love you? How did your mother love you? How did your, you know, how did you, you know, we've, we've got all sorts of stuff that we could probably all spend hours on some sort of psychologist's couch, you know. But God is, God's love is this perfect love, this beautiful, refined, ever-flowing boundless love that's that's why I find joy because I'm loved so I remember your love endures forever but I receive that love receive that love and so this morning I just want to ask would you with me if, if, you, if you don't mind if you could put your hands out in the posture of receiving like someone's about to give you a gift and if Lucy and the guys could come back up that would be really really good we're going to have a little time of worship, but I'm just going to pray while, just before we do that. Mm. Father, we, we remember, we remember that your love endures forever. We remember that this season is one of you coming to us in order that we could come to you. We remember your love that endures forever. And I pray right now, Lord, that you would come and you would deposit your love in each one of us today. We sit here with our hands open and we say, we receive your love. We receive your love. Holy Spirit, would you just move around this room right now? Come and touch people with your love. Those that feel shame, come and touch them with your love. Those that feel guilt, come and touch them with your love. Those that feel anxiety, come and touch them with your love. Those of us that feel relatively good right now, come and touch us with your love. 
Lord, your love that is free flowing and knows no bounds. There is no heart in this room that cannot experience the love of Jesus. So God, we ask that your love would flow in this room today. In Jesus' name, amen.